0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Let's talk mixtapes versus albums. First of all, I don't even believe... So back in, you know, I guess the early 2000s and before, it was very clear what a mixtape was. You know, Mm -hmm. a mixtape was... You know, in the beginning, it was like, you know, you talk about Tony Touch and doo Those are two of the, like, you know, legends at it. And yeah. it was truly getting records ahead of when the radio did, uh, mixing them together, like a competition. Freestyles. And, and yeah. Freestyles, you know, over, like, you know, common beats and stuff like that and putting it out. And that's what it was. And then it became um, single artists, like 50 and Wayne and people like that, typically rhyming over, um other people's beats. Mm-hmm. That's what a mixtape was. And then it morphed into, okay, I'm going to just make records um, and maybe it's got samples that I can't clear or you know, whatever it is, but I'm going to put it out. But there's really no, it is new beats from a single yeah. artist. So there's no distinction between that and an album. And I would say that when it crossed into that territory, there was no distinction between a mixtape and an album. And I would even say, that for certain artists, their mixtapes stand as some of their best work. I think the part will always be a voice for the people. Hey everybody, I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have our editor in chief, Jake Payne. Welcome to our podcast, What's the Headline? Jake, what's going on, man?
1: man a a good week for for music and yeah you know just it was kind of a light week in terms of news compared
0: to others don't you think yeah not much you know especially without the verses going on uh yeah. you know um uh, that's been become a highlight for me that uh last dance are, like kind of things i look forward to on the weekends uh but the the, the next one coming up looks like it's going to be crazy uh Erica, well there's you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. That one's big. So we talked last week about uh, the potential of Lauren versus Lauren Hill versus uh, Erica. Um, and you and I had differing opinions. I saw a lot of uh, comments, some agreeing with me. I think a few more vocalists agreeing with you. What do you think
0: about uh, Jill Scott versus Erica? Uh, man, it's a, t- it's a tough one. I think, well, it's interesting. I think that Erica will take it for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it'll be closer than most people think and I think it'll be very polarizing because I think that kind of like there's, you know, there there are people who are for Beyonce and people who are for Rihanna and Prince and Michael Jackson and Kendrick and Drake know know the dichotomies. I think that um, those camps for Erica and Jill both ride very, very hard for their artists. Yeah, And even though there's a lot of overlap, you know, as you know, the history, you know, living in Philly uh, and being as, as tied to that culture as you are, those two have been inextricably intertwined since day one. You know, mm-hmm. with, with um, Jill originally being on the Roots You Got Me version and then getting stripped off for Erica, and then coming back on the live version and, you know, killing it. Yeah, yeah on exactly, the live. Yeah, exactly. But who do you, who do you think is going to take it?
1: I think Erica, um, but it's interesting. You know, I, correct me if you feel differently, but I think Jill Scott's enjoyed a really um, kind of a nice comeback. Is probably not a fair word because I don't think she ever went away. But whereas Erica's always been a constant, I think that Jill's stock has been up in the last two or three years. You know, she's put out some some interesting things and made some headlines with her performances and things like that. Um, what,
0: what, what performances would that be? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: her, her mic control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I hope to tune in for that one. So it wasn't a versus battle, but last night was uh, Tony touch versus doo which, you know, two of my favorite mixtape DJs ever and um, I, I saw that it was over, and uh, today I may, I may watch it on uh, reruns if I can. That, that's pretty cool. And then I did see, um, so independently, 3-6 Mafia and Bone were going to battle, Bone, Thugs mm-hmm. and Harmony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of doing it themselves, I think on DJ Paul's page and Crazy Bone's page. And then Versus came in and said, it was supposed to be, I think, Wednesday or Thursday night. And they said, no, listen, let's do this the right way. So I kind of look forward to that one. I think that could be interesting too, and that's a different type of, um, I think, rap fan or music fan than we've seen with like Premier versus RZA or Teddy versus
0: Babyface. Yeah, it's the well, yeah, it's definitely not a New York centric one. Um, yeah. Who do you think takes that one? I mean, it's interesting. So I mean, I have a,
1: a lot of love for Bone Thugs and Harmony. I grew up kind of close to Cleveland. I think 3-6 Mafia takes it simply because their hits, their strongest, um, you know, assets, so to speak, are more upbeat, more, you know, like, you can move to them. Whereas, you know, Bone's biggest hits, a lot of them are, are slower, kind of more pensive, melodic songs. And, I mean, are we going to get busy? Are we going to get flesh? Is it just going to be crazy, lazy, and wish? Like, there's a wild card there. And, and not for nothing, too. I mean, 3-6 Mafia is not what it once was either you know in terms of personnel due to you know passings and revolving personnel so i don't know i think it'll be cool i hope they haven't announced the date yet but i do you know i hope i'm still allowed back in ohio but i think uh hypnotized minds three six mafia
0: will take it (laughs) you know what about you so the slow thing i would have been i would have agreed with you uh until the teddy uh, riley babyface battle Okay. Because I think that um, Babyface showed that you can like you can like definitely op- open up some whip appeal with uh, with yeah. the, uh, the slow joints. You know what I mean? But you got to sell it like he did, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, as soon as they put on crossroads, I mean, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's a, I mean, that's one of the biggest songs of all time in any genre. Yeah. Like and that you know, intro is you know,
1: captivating, you know, like the way the beat starts with the, you know, the, mm-hmm. yeah, this
0: ruggish bone and for the love of money. And then they got like, they can throw the like uh notorious thugs on with Biggie and they, yes. they got some joints, man. That's you know? a good one
1: too. The Biggie one, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I mean, it's funny if I was in one of these battles, um, I would be, you know, I would treat it like a concert. I would find out some interesting, you know, flips and maneuvers. I think that there's anything can be taken. And um, it's gotta be more than just going song for song with somebody. There has to be
0: some pageantry to it. So let me ask you this. Do you think that Erica and Jill would be bigger than Teddy and Babyface in terms of like uh, viewers?
1: It could be, but if so, it benefits from that. Like, sort of like you said, there's so much momentum here. These are becoming, you know, like, what's the, you know, what's the versus this week? What's the battle this week? I think this one, yeah, I mean, it's going to reach out to a lot. I mean, this is a generalization, and I might be wrong, but I think, like, the demographics are probably more Instagram-friendly on this one, and, yeah. And, not, you know, with with Babyface and Teddy, there was real narrative, but like you said, this one – there's, there's backstory there. You know? Yeah,
0: I mean, the, the biggest things, you know, biggest movies, um, biggest music is always driven by women, right? Because mm-hmm. um, if women like it, the dudes are going to watch. And there's a lot of dudes watching Love and Hip Hop and Real Housewives of Atlanta and stuff like that because they're, you know, they're and others are doing it. And so mm-hmm. I think that Babyface brought a lot of women to the Teddy Riley uh, battle. Um, yeah. And I think that Jill and Erica will do the same. So it, it, I think it could be big. It could, it's basically like the, it's a battle that you will see at Essence Fest. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: And what's cool is, I mean, both of those those ladies are so, um, you know, they are they really are performers. They're so charismatic. Um, you know, I expect to laugh. I expect to learn something. I, I do think they will come with more than just, I'm going to drop dropped the beat i mean erica's a dj on top of everything
0: you know you know it's interesting man um with both of them the first time i ever experienced their music was live oh wow so uh with erica malik yoga from new york undercover uh, used to have this this place uh in called a soul cafe in uh times square Is it was at 42nd between i think 9th and 10th before that area was like gentrified and it was yeah you know, once you got past Eighth Avenue and Port Authority, it started getting a little dicey. Um, yeah, this was 1997, about two, three weeks before um, the album before Baduism dropped, and it was maybe I don't know, like 75 people in the restaurant, and she just did, did a showcase, and it was the entire album. Um, the single was out, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I think On and On was out because it was, it was okay. only two or three weeks before the album dropped, and like it was unreal it was one of the greatest musical experiences I've ever had and you know years later like 2009 uh it was in 2009 so 12 years later I was backstage with her uh um Peter Bittenbender from Mass Appeal and I uh hanging out with her for a couple hours and I mentioned to her that I was there that night you know, obviously, like you know, I was in love with Erica, her eyes. You know, it's all true. Yeah, and um, she looks at me and she goes, "You were there that night." And I'm thinking, "Oh man, it's cool that this is a, a meaningful moment." She goes, "That's the night I met Andre." Now, and like, <laughs> 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 I was done, dude. I was done. There was nothing yeah. I could I could say. Um, but with Jill, same thing. It was um, S.O.B.s, uh, maybe. Six months actually before her album dropped, you know, who was Joe Scott, and it's the first time I'd ever seen Stephen Hill in person. You know, he and I ended up up being my boss, and like we're great friends now, um, so it was cool. But she sang, dude, and it took me, uh, probably like five, ten listens to the album to even like the album because Mm. she was so good live, like it, she's just. She takes it to such a different level, you know, mic control and all that. Like it's just a whole different level when you hear her live, and so it blew me away. So it's, it's interesting that, that as my first experiences with both was live. You know?
1: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen both live, but never as a headliner. I mean, over the years I've seen Jill come out with the Roots to do the live version, which, to your point, is kind of a, a curse. But I mean, I prefer her version on the Roots live album to the album version with Erica um mm. that's just my take but um both both ways it's a great song and i'm really curious i saw some people on twitter talking like how are they going to treat that you know you have to go like they have to go back to back with that
0: yeah oh that would be crazy right or take it yeah. off the
1: table you know
0: yeah i mean i didn't think that that would be ill like so yeah. do you start with that or you finish with that how do you how do you like what's the order for that Man.
1: I mean, it could be such a tipping point, pun intended, like uh <laughs> to end with it, I think you just do it somewhere in the middle, like you know,, um, or you just do it as kind of like a bonus beat, like, yo, but I, I think it would be cool in the battle. I'd be really curious to see how people react, you know
0: So let me ask you this, would you ever incorporate a host into these battles, like a um you know just like an m c who's like you know kicking it back and forth and like hyping it up?
1: I think that could be really cool, you know, even like a uh, even like a Dougie Fresh or somebody to keep that energy. I mean, that was on one hand, it was so great about Premier and RZA, like the, the chatter. But I have to say, just as a fan of competition, like there was a couple of times where the momentum, you know, dropped a little bit. And to have a high energy host that could guide the artist. okay, like now you're up, you know, or let them have a minute for rapport there. I think that could be really, really good, especially here. And if we're in quarantine much longer or versus outlives quarantine as we know it, I think that's a really good idea. And I mean, look who's behind it between, um, you know, Swizz and Tim, like Swizz is an incredible uh, host like that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to see, I'd love to see uh, Dave Chappelle host this one. Mm. And then I'd love to see that the breakdown uh, by by, uh, Questlove. That would be
1: really tight. I saw so many jokes about, like, what outfits people were going to wear to tune in. You know, all the, uh, you know, neo-soul, uh, soul-quarians, like thrift store, you know, garb. Um, yeah. So you'll have to uh, let our podcast viewers know when you watch when you tune in. I'll, I'll probably be dressed like this as usual.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we touched on the last dance briefly. You had said something earlier in the week that I thought was really interesting. You asked what the hip-hop, like, equivalent of that would be. Mm. What, what, what did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, what I'm enjoying so much of The Last Dance is
1: there's this element of like, damn, it fell apart and it didn't have to. You know, for whatever the reasons, which we as viewers are still, you know, we think we know, but we're going to learn more. So like in, in hip hop and rap, what was, what was the thing? What was the dynasty, the empire that could have gone further? And what was, what was the few movable parts that prevented it from happening?
0: Mm, no, I, I know what you're saying. Okay.
1: So, so like, example, so, like, so, you know, like, obvious example to me is, like, you know, I mean, Death Row was was running things from, you know, late 92. Or even, you could argue earlier with deep cover. But, like, you look at that one MGM, like, surveillance camera. You got, you know, Pac and Orlando Anderson scuffling and whatever transpired as a result of that. Shug kicking somebody because he's caught on camera, he leaves the label. The label can't be run without him. Pac, obviously, hours later dies. Like, you know, that one thing. Um, you know, where, like, you could even look at it as a, as a season, like late 96, that happens. Snoop puts out Dogfather, which is a polarizing album. And as a result, attention moves back east or starts to move towards New Orleans. Do um, you see any
0: correlations in, in hip-hop that way? So you're looking at it almost like a, as a what-if. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I see, I see that for um, for Death Row for sure. I see it for Rockefeller. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I see it for a tribe called Quest. You know, I think they had a lot of music left in them before they broke up. But with Tribe, I mean, do you think? I mean, I watched Michael
1: Rappaport's documentary, whatever it was, ten years ago. Do you think there was like one thing, or do you think it was just like, damn, we grew up different people are jockeying for, like, you know, who's leading the group, and as a result, we're going to part ways for at least a while.
0: You know, I don't know what, what, I don't know what the cause was. I mean, besides what you just, you know, said, which is just the history and just after a while things add up. But I I think that they, you know, a lot of groups go beyond their years. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, um, they, they just keep making albums and they're just not that good. But these guys, I think, had a lot of music left in them as did like outcast. Yeah. You know, um, I I think that there are a few art rare artists like that who could have gone on, you know, um, D'Angelo, although they, they did that documentary. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, which I think is like documented his, his journey well, but I I think that's similar too, but (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I, like, you know so much more about basketball, like, than I do, but I'm enjoying this documentary, and I'm telling everyone I know to tune in, regardless of, it's just great storytelling, but from what I understand, like, if Jerry Krause didn't force Phil Jackson into that one year, um, one final year, like, what happens? And I, obviously, there's other movable parts, but I look at that, like, I heard this story one time um, that Master P was on speakerphone with Beats by the Pound, who were, you know, Uh, Craig I forget all their names Craig G, KLC like all the producers of those hits for Mystical and Silk and P had said some disparaging remark about the producers that they heard and he thought he was on mute and as a result those guys left and went on to make you know music for other people and you know I'm not saying that No Limit would have lasted another 10 years but I I just think of those one you know kind of butterfly
0: effects Yeah, I think NWA is another one too great one i mean those dudes at full strength really only made one album you know um yeah i don't really count the you know the nwa the posse one right uh, compilation but uh straight out of compton like was their own their only album as a you know as a full crew yeah which is crazy yeah so where i thought you were going with it was was there anything that documented um that documented the final run of
1: something. Oh, okay. Um, Which you we kinda got with Death of a Dynasty and Fade to Black. Yeah, we got that from Fade to Black for sure. What's what's Death of a Dynasty? Um, it's another so I, I get a little bit confused. There's all of this footage that Choke No Joke, I don't know if you're familiar with him, a yeah. videographer has, um, that was kinda like kinda like yeah. this, like behind the scenes stuff. And a lot of it's on YouTube. It gets pulled, it pops back up. He and Dame Dash have had kind of a tug of war over who really owns it, but you get to see, um, and I I don't believe that that's Death of a Dynasty, that was called something else, but you get to see kind of like the meetings where Jay and Dame are very clearly like going their different ways. Mm. And you have all these artists on the label that are, you know, kind of suffering um, as a result of it, but still putting out great music, especially young Kanye West, you know, um, and, and Cameron and stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of that. NWA has a lot of stuff that I need to track down, too. There's a lot of, like, straight-to-VHS, like, the pool parties and stuff yeah, that I want to see.
0: It's, just not, it's not serious storytelling, though. Okay. You know, it's, it's showing kind of, like, backstage debauchery and stuff like that. DNA, yeah. 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 yeah, actually, there's, there's quite a bit uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had that VHS back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably on Worldstar uh, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Um, yeah, I was thinking about also the show. Yeah, you know, it, it chronicled this really amazing moment in time for hip hop. Um, and I think is is a documentary like that. But you know, I think part of what makes the last dance so fantastic is that it's so long. I mean, ten yeah. hours. That's a that's that's a real deep dive in the storytelling. Now it's commonplace to do a documentary like that, like with Netflix. But um uh, but to, to have gathered that much footage back then is insane.
1: I love that each episode is is um kind of dedicate like it it advances the story I really like the fact that they didn't keep it chronological you know they're going back to the rise of the dynasty and then intercutting it with that final year but it seems like every hour is dedicated to one person or player Mm -hmm. um and I I really enjoyed the Phil Jackson episode I uh you know it was obviously before my time but I didn't realize you know that he was a championship player I don't know why but I don't know a whole lot I mean I, I know uh you know, um, Frazier and different players from the early you know '70s Knicks, but I didn't realize that Phil Jackson was kind of instrumental in that, huh?
0: Yeah, for sure, absolutely, absolutely.
1: And the photograph of him in the cab—they they use it right as they talk about him uh, using LSD, but he's making that face out the window like that. For, yeah, I'm gonna get that frame. That 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 photograph is 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 just so dope. Yeah. What's your mean for that? Well, you know, what is my caption? Yeah, <laughs> uh, back to you on that. But I've always like. I, I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers football fan, so I was used to like hot-headed Bill Cowher, and then Mike Tomlin came in, and Mike Tomlin is the epitome of cool to me in the NFL, of just like level-headed. Once in a while, you know, he'll he'll lose his head, but like Phil is like that. You know, everyone was saying like he was just so like you know, um, you know, he's like Buddhist-informed, and yeah, just, he
0: was he was an assassin too, though, man. Like, word, uh, yeah. So, you know, I had Nets season tickets um, from, like, 1998 to, like, 2014. Okay. And I uh, actually, um, we got them because I went in with a group and we got a, a packet of 10. We were way too poor to have Nets tickets. It was three of us split night like tickets for a packet of 10. And um, the Nets were terrible. So we got tickets. And that year, the Nets ended up getting into the playoffs. And since yes. they're the AC, they played the Bulls in That season, so I oh saw, wow, saw game three of that uh, five game series. I think that swept them, but uh, it was still great. That's amazing. Um, but then the Nets got good by 2001, 2002. <laughs> yeah. Jason Kidd came and they made it to the finals 2002. We're there in the beginning of half in the beginning of the series. Phil Jackson wrote on the back on the, the blackboard in the locker room for the Lakers, Give them hope. And then at halftime, he wrote, now take it away. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's gangster. That's super gangster, yeah. That's how the the government's doing us now with these, like, the (laughs) lockdown. Right. And, yeah, and these checks, you know, I'm still using a lot. So, you know,
1: the handshake, I want to ask you, just because I, from what I know about you, you know, you're a fan of, you know, you were paying a lot of attention to late 1980s basketball. What do you, What is your take on this, you know, snub, so to speak, from the Pistons? I've heard a lot of talk this week, and you showed me a dope video as well on Isaiah kind of reflecting against the last dance.
0: Yeah, you know, I know that Isaiah said um, that, the, that that's what the Celtics did to them. It might be true. Um, but it was seen as, like, kind of a, you know, an asshole move, you know, uh, to use Jordan's word, like mm-hmm. – they had beaten them twice, two years in a row. Like, uh, it's a changing of the guard. Like, give the young boys some love. you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, they came back, they played hard, they swept you, you know, it's all good. Like, um, so, you know, I I don't buy that it was a time of the era. Um, But, you know, as that interview that I I saw with Isaiah um, really enforced, there was a a real double standard with the Pistons, you know? Uh, It was a racially charged... Uh, sort of language and perspective attached to them you know, They there were seen as thugs mm. and um, not worthy of you know being champions and things like that um, and then you know as Isaiah said like years later when the Knicks employed their tactics and the, and the heat under Pat Riley they were just tough and like you know hard scrabble um, yeah so it was interesting and Isaiah was a tough dude, man. That dude, like, dropped 25 and a quarter, I believe, on, like a, is it like, a fractured ankle or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, uh, they were a tough team. So, you know, you want to see guys like that, like, you know, man up and just, like, admit they were beat. But, you know, it was what it was.
1: Do you uh, – you know, you mentioned in our last podcast that, you know, you kind of – the origin of this, of Michael Jordan kind of getting the final cut have you felt in the episodes that have released so far that it shows enough of Jordan vulnerable or, you know, any error in his ways?
0: Um,
1: Not to I say there I is any, but I'm curious. I think,
0: I think it's a little sanitized still. You know, I read this book called Playing for Keeps by David Halberstam, um, uh, which is kind of the definitive biography on Michael Jordan. Um, and it, dude, it shows all the warts, you know, the, the cursing, the braggadocio, um him like punching Steve Kerr in the eye in practice because <laughs> yeah. like he wasn't working hard enough like <laughs> Jordan was a monster dude. He was, yeah. he was a beast. Um and I think that you get glimpses of that yeah. but not to the extent that it was. Like he was he was he was uh, hard on people. And we've also you've seen the Chameleon Air video. Um, oh yeah. yeah it's <laughs> like nah, I ain't I ain't taking pictures. No, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like the millionaire at the top of his game goes to Michael Jordan. It's like, Yo man, can I get a picture? And Michael Jordan curses him out, like in front of everybody. Like, yeah, he, that's, that's Jordan, man. Man,
1: it's funny. You know, I've told you this story, but I, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh about, you know, eight miles outside of downtown. And I remember one night, I was 16 or 17 years old, and I borrowed my mom's car and Mary Lemieux, you know, Hall of Fame hockey player used to have these charity golf tournaments, and Jordan was in town for one. And in the town that I lived in, like everyone had rolled up and go home. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I had to be home because I was on a Cinderella driver's license. And I see Mario and Michael Jordan on the street smoking a cigar. And literally, you know, I could have parked right in front of him and gotten out. It wasn't like downtown Philly here. And I drove home. And my, and I've said this to you, like, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge hockey fan I watch. I'm not a huge basketball fan I watch. Let those two guys have their moment. And it, this was before cameras were on phones. But I have to tell you, after watching The Last Dance, I'm, if I would have gotten out of that car and run up on them, I'm halfway, mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably would have gotten cursed out
0: a uh, hundred times worse than Chameleon Air. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, that. No <laughs> <doubt. laughs> yeah. Yo, so you talked about new music that's coming. Um, one of the things you mentioned in the document is that Nas and Hit Boy are working together. Yeah, I saw that
1: in passing. You know, Nas is, you know, plays things close to the chest, but said that he and Hitboy Boy, um, you know, are, are having an album. Now, this follows, what was it, two years ago, Nas said, you know, he and Swizz and RZA were doing stuff. Um, back when I used to write for Scratch Magazine, Nas at one point said that he and Premiere were doing a whole album. I think it was him. It might have been Premiere that said it. You know, there's always been these lingering kind of batteries of Nas and a producer. Um, and all we've ever gotten, as I see it, is Nas and Salam Rami on whole albums together. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how do you feel about that, Nas and Hit Boy?
0: You know, um, you mentioned a couple songs that they've done together. It didn't really, didn't really move me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm really anxious for the Swiss joint to come out because the best I've heard of Nas over the last several years has been with Swiss. Um, you know, including the, the 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 track that still has not been released with him and Jay, yeah,
1: like, Jadakiss
0: and DMX, like that joint is still like would, would just be insane. I don't know what's what's keeping that from coming out, but that would be amazing. Um, so I want to hear the Swiss the Swiss Beats joint. Like I think that would be far better than what, what he did with Kanye. Um, yeah, I actually really liked. Um, and Kanye is um, a good
1: point, but beyond Salon Rami, to your credit, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I really like um the the joint he did with Pete Rock, uh, uh Queensbridge Politics. Is that yeah, um uh, lost tapes too. Yeah, that one is dope. Um but to your point, you, you said this, like I, I do think that, you know, it shouldn't be a one producer collaboration. I think it really should be multiples and just whatever like, you know, inspires him. You know, mm-hmm. he's been inspired a few times. Like uh um um Nas album done with Khaled that was a great one yeah but but there have been a lot of um, drops he's made over the last few years where it didn't seem to me like his heart was in you know
1: yeah I mean the joint that he put on Swizz's album last year which actually DJ Scratch produced was uh, I really like that record a lot Um, and Swizz certainly contributed to the song with you know his vocal and and ad-libs and all that um, yeah, Hitboy's not the one for me. I, I think Hitboy's made some phenomenal music with guys like Casey Veggies and um, Audio Push. Like, he's really become a hit-making – yeah, of course, Backseat, um, Freestyle. I don't – that doesn't sound great on paper to me. And I know Nas gets a lot of flack for his beat picking. And, yeah, I, I mean, to me, Omatic is one of those albums that kind of made the ensemble cast what it's become in hip-hop. And I'm not saying you have to stick exactly to that formula. I'd be very happy if he did, but this doesn't excite me. Yeah.
0: yeah. So speaking of Drake, uh, he dropped, I know that's your favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. love Drake singing. Right? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, that tattoo that goes viral, uh,
1: that's actually me that has Drake on my forehead. I just felt like <laughs> yeah, is
0: that right? <laughs> uh, so he dropped a new, a new um, playlist, album. Like, how do you want to characterize it? Dark Lane demo tapes. I mean, to me, um, yeah, I guess, I mean,
1: I, I don't think Drake has come out and branded what it is. Um, we can use his, his terms from other projects. Yeah. Let's call it a playlist. You know, um, a lot of these songs, uh, fans have gotten to hear before and then some new joints too. And the thing that fascinates me, I mean, here's what I'll say. I really like the way it opens the first three songs, which were all previously either leaked or released, um, Chicago freestyle, deep pockets, when to say when, I, I appreciated them more in the context of just lean back, play these. I'm listening in my car, not, you know, on a blog. Um, but Drake fascinates me because he's able to put out a project and, and do it in such a way where he's not judged by it. You know, it's almost like wearing a red jersey in, you know, practice sports. Like, you can't hurt me. This is just for you. This is just to kind of get my reps in. And I've never necessarily seen an artist be able to do that, apart from like the quote-unquote street album back in the day. But the people that were making street albums weren't Drake level; they weren't Drake status. So it's it's interesting.
0: Well, okay. So in terms of the album, I, I do like it when he's spitting, right? So uh, you know, deep uh, Chicago freestyle uh, losses. I mm-hmm. think he's really going in on that, even though he's you know he's not um, he's not going at anybody, but um you know in general i thought the project was cool i gotta to listen to it a few more times i've listened yeah. to every two or three times um I, I don't think that i like it way more than i did like uh if you're reading this is too late and <laughs> um and like the the um future Stuff Bible, of the future yeah like yeah uh but it's not up there with like um um uh, more life and um uh, nothing was the same and things like that. You know, it's probably like mid-tier for me. And I'm a Drake fan, like, you know, very admittedly. Uh, More than I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a Drake fan, like, no qualification. Like, I, I no. love Drake, I think. And, you know, I used to only like the rap, but, like, I've come to even like the R&B stuff and, and sure. singing and stuff to survive, you know. So um, it's cool, but I want to I wanna drill down on this, this point that you're making about, like, it not counting against this catalog and... and and I actually don't believe that's true. I think that most consumers at this point don't make a distinction because they're just gonna they're listening to it on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is, anyway. And it's just it's no different than any other project. Like more life, like call it a playlist. That that album had like a bunch of radio bangers on it. Um, it was everything an album was. Is just they just decided to call it something different for branding purposes.
1: Yeah, and I've wondered about that, too, with More Life, because so many of those songs riffed on other artists' songs in a way. It was almost like um, a mixtape in a way. Like, you know, like him not covering but alluding to so many other joints. I disagree with you. I mean, I feel like everyone is a critic now, especially on social media. Everyone's all about hot takes. And Drake has this ability... Almost like when, you know, professional sports teams used to go to other countries to kind of just like do a clinic. Um, he can put out music and it, it's, it's, it's immune. You know, it's got like this, this vest on or this red jersey where it's just like, yo, this is a gift to fans. Say what you will. But my next album is what you will judge me against. And as far as I'm concerned, Scorpion was,
0: you know, Drake's last album. And let's take let's take let's take it out of just the context of Drake. And okay. Let's talk mixtapes versus albums. First of all, I don't even believe so back in, you know, I guess the early two thousands and before, it was very clear what a mixtape was. You know, mm-hmm. mixtape was you know, in the beginning it was like, you know, you talk about Tony Touch and Do-Wop, those are two of the like, you know, legends at it. And yeah. it was truly getting records ahead of when the radio did uh, mixing them together, like the comp. Freestyles. Tape, and, and yeah. Freestyles, you know, over like, you know, common beats and stuff like that and putting it out. And that's what it was. And then it became um, single artists like 50 and Wayne and people like that typically rhyming over um, other people's beats. Mm-hmm. That's what a mixtape was. And then it morphed into, okay, I'm going to just make records um, and maybe it's got samples that I can't clear or, you know, whatever it is, but I'm going to put it out. But there's really no, it it is new beats from a single artist. So there's no distinction between that and an album. And I would say that when it crossed into that territory, there was no distinction between a mixtape and an album. And I would even say that for certain artists, their mixtapes stand as some of their best work for I'm sure say, i'm gonna say big crit
1: gonna
0: yeah. say well, crit was here like i mean uh it's, it's still like you know one of his top three projects if you count mixtapes Friday, like Mid- that Lights, warm-up, okay. the warm-up yeah you know so, with well, j cole um you know a lot of people think that section 80 was a mixtape you know there's that debate uh, yeah. so even it's so even just the nature of that debate shows that there's really not a distinction there is and 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 that's you know,
1: that's kind of its own conversation. And back in those days, you know, it, to me, at the time, you know, I was I was running editorial for Hip Hop DX, and we really struggled with that, you know, when it came down to like year end. And you're absolutely right. Somewhere in around 2010, it changed. Like Rick Ross's, what was it, Albert Anastasia mixtape had Blowing Money Fast and um, I think MC Hammer on it. And those records were so hot on the street that. I think it was Def Jam at the time was like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to put this on the album and, or, and, and Rick, you know, Ross made that decision himself. And now it's weird. Yeah. I mean, and 50 cent was putting out mixtapes around that time when he was kind of at odds with Interscope and his truly like after, before I, uh, after get rich or die trying fifties mixtapes are better than his albums. Like, the stuff you could go and get at Best Buy was nowhere near as what you were finding on Dat Piff or, you know, on, you know, download sites. And that's really remarkable. But, you know, now I think so often we're looking at legacy and Drake's in a really weird place. He's very polarizing. There's a lot of people out there that, that still just cannot stand him and won't listen to him. I do not fit in that category. I, I like, I like the music that Drake's made in, you know, especially in the last, uh, Five or six years, a lot more than he did in the first five or six years, Um, but that he can put it out for public consumption, and to me, it is immune to legacy. Um, I mean, that that first no, go ahead, sorry, go ahead.
0: You got Lloyd Banks. You got uh, you know when um, Ross dropped Rich Forever. You know, yeah. If if so, Dipset. Yeah, so if, if you if you can acknowledge that those those works those bodies of work stand with any other bodies of work that they yeah. do, and in some you know in some cases maybe transcend them, um, why would Drake be immune to what these others the others because are, he's are? he's doing it differently? You know, back back five plus years ago, to me
1: those felt like things that were for the fans. There's a lot of people out here that say they like Fifty Cent, but weren't following those mixtapes. Um, because they didn't see them in Walmart or Best Buy or wherever. And now it's all on our phones. It's all in our browsers. It's it's just different to me. I mean, truly, Crit's a great example, because if you include Crit's mixtapes, um, he's a lot closer to J. Cole and Kendrick than
0: he is without them, in my opinion. I say that. So why wouldn't you, though? I mean, it's all music. Like, uh, it's a Chance the Rapper, like, I mean, he wouldn't have a catalog if it weren't for mixtapes. Uh, and you say that it's for the fans, but isn't all music for the fans? Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the distinction is. So you feel like if if if,
1: if the wide consensus is that Dark Lane demo tapes is mid, it's, uh, it's cool. But it's not on the level of what Drake's done. You think that that is a strike
0: against his catalog or his legacy? Absolutely. It's on Apple Music as any other release that he would make is, you know, it's not like a SoundCloud thing or something like that. It's a full blown release. He do, it, You know, the, the difference is that it is stuff that he's put out there over the years, like his, uh, like, like the one he the lost Ta- his lost tapes thing that he did a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right? yeah, was, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of albums like, uh, you know, Hotline Bling was on uh, Scorpion, right. Um, uh, or um, before that yeah, it, uh, views yes. um, but it had been out for like you know a year so you can't even say that's the distinction so you know if it's, if it's new music and it's on a DSP and it lives with its other catalog it should be judged against its other catalog so every shot you take from the line goes on the stat sheet absolutely and there's no harm in that like I don't I actually don't so I don't think that putting out a bad album takes away from your legacy like uh, you know, Kane, yeah, uh, Rakim, a, a lot of artists put out a, a lot of music that doesn't stand with some of their classics. But I don't not like, right? But I I don't think it takes away from their legacy.
1: Yeah, I just look at it. I look at how the artist treats it. You know, even Kendrick with you know, Untitled Unmastered. Um, there's some things that just feel like they live in another lane to me. You know, and and there's no right answer. It's just how it's how it's perceived. And for me. Um, if the consensus was that this was mid, it would, it would count against Drake and Drake is an artist that, you know, I don't count the, the, the early stuff with future that was kind of, but like at an album basis, he's really, you know, appeased his core very well in a way that, you know, to me is a newer version of like outcast, which I know Ida Wild is a challenging listen, but by and large outcast they made nothing but great albums. De La soul doesn't have a weak link in their, um, you know, in their catalog, in my opinion. And there's people well, out there
0: that feel different. If you think it's subpar, why would you put it out? If you're an artist, like, it, you know, for the fans, you should always be delivering value. So we know, live in a time right now where, I mean, I feel like, you know, you
1: got to stroke the fire a little bit. And especially right now, I mean, we've seen the, upper echelon artists do these kind of sudden drops, you know? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, well, it's, let's go back to Crit, though, because you yeah. made that point. You said that, you know, if you counted his mixtapes, then he stands next to, you know, Kendrick Cole and all those guys. He's a lot closer, yeah. Why well, wouldn't you? I mean,
1: in my perception of Crit, that counts. But if I was to tell somebody that was a new fan, it's just a, it's a lot more to navigate. I don't know. I, part of me feels like I'm not necessarily making the best case here on my side, but like that music to me, what crit was capable of without the label system behind him and without sample clearances and all of that was
0: exceptional. Um, you think it would matter if uh, that stuff was on DSPs? Like, it, when you say Navigate, you mean you got to go through that piff and stuff like that to get to it, or YouTube? Yeah,
1: honestly, I have a browser open on my phone right now to live mixtapes or something, just so I can listen to Crit Was Here. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and it's, 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 it's harder to find. And, and you're right. I mean, i got to give infinite props to Section 80 because that was something that came out and at first felt like a mixtape, but based on the way that it was received suddenly – um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Top Dog Entertainment put it out. as just like SoundCloud, and then very quickly, well, the hubbub built. You know, it was like boom, buy this on iTunes, yeah. or you know, and, and that was a game changer. I mean, Acid uh, Acid Rap was a bit of a game changer too. Well, you know, Coloring Book with you know 2016. It's just it's just an advancing conversation that's interesting to me, um, and I mean, when artists I- artists are starting to put. Um, Their mixtapes. I, I really hope there's a day, especially for Crit, because I'm such a fan of his. But like, you know, um, Miseducation of Freddie Gibbs is, you know, was up until a week ago on Spotify. His other, um, you know, Midwest Cadillac music, it's on Spot. It's great that you can do that with some artists, but with others, I feel like they're hamstrung. I really wish Guess Who's Back by Fifty Cent, which I think duo posted, was on. Was easy to find because I prefer
0: that personally to a lot of his albums. Yeah, that was, a, I mean, that was a great, great project. You know? Yeah. Um, you know. One of the first or earliest articles I wrote on AFH was uh, What If Reasonable Doubt Had Been a Mixtape. And mm-hmm. it was about um, the pressure that J. Cole was feeling at the time because he had put out two classic mixtapes. You know, he put out um, um, The Warm Up and Friday Night Lights before his album dropped. And yep. there was all this pressure on him to drop this classic album because his mixtapes were so good. And it made me think, you know, you know, would Jay-Z, just think about if Jay-Z had released Reasonable Doubt as a mixtape and then followed up with uh, In My Lifetime as his album. He would have been... That would kind of make sense. But yeah. no, but he would have been viewed completely differently. Because right? yeah. Reasonable Doubt was a classic. And then the, yeah. the follow-up like was really mixed reviews at best a lot of people you know um and so you know his first album would have been a dud you know they would have changed it would have completely changed his legacy but that makes no sense when he's already dropped great music before that so i've just always kind of found found the distinction kind of arbitrary
1: yeah i mean it is and and you're right
0: as more as a label construct too right? I think exactly. it's a business driver than, than, than how consumers experience
1: Like, Crit's Live from the Underground had a lot of anticipation. They, I feel like up until the release of the album, he benefited from, okay, well now you have a budget, now you have a label, what are you going to do with it? Cool, the same way with Sideline Story. And both of those albums, for everyone that loved their mixtapes, were both kind of they weren't all the way there for what people had loved when it was just the artist. No roles, no, you know, none of that stuff. So it's tricky, but yeah, I mean, I do think we're going to see a Drake album later this year and I feel like it'll be looked at completely differently in terms of magnitude and amplification than what we're seeing with uh, dark lane demo tapes. Yeah.
0: So you do think it's coming uh, when, when you think, you think the album's coming this summer?
1: Uh, yeah. Summer, fall. Drake seems to love that time of year. He makes records that are so good, but I mean, 2020 is a huge outlier. And if people aren't outside like they usually are, maybe Drake will, uh,
0: you know, hold back a little bit. You think he scrapped what he had, uh, call it in December, uh, when the rap writer interview dropped? Uh, you think he scrapped that, you know, in light of COVID and COVID and stuff like that? Or do you think he's still putting out the same body?
1: Weight? I don't picture Drake as too much of a scrapper. I mean, I'm sure he's always recording, but I'm,
0: I'm sure he just refined, refined, refined. You just called Drake Soft. You said he's not a scrapper. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So hey funny. man, he, he slapped Diddy. Lord only knows what he's doing with his face. You know? <laughs> oh man. So there's other new music that came out too. What else you listen to this week? So um, yeah, I've been checking out a lot. I uh, I listen to Mozzie's um,
1: album, Beyond Bulletproof. Mozzie's one of these guys that I find really interesting. He's kind of, you know, he was on the Black Panther soundtrack, with, which went number one. I'm a big fan of Bay Area rap. You know, that whole Northern California, Mozzie's from Sacramento. And I'm, I really want them to pr- produce um, a widely recognized lyricist, because I think they exist. And I don't think that that market gets the love it's due. So I actually did a, I worked with Mozzie on his press bio for this. And this album has a lot of depth to it. I really like how it ends. Um the last two songs are show a lot of growth and depth for Mozzie. Um that was one. I love oh. Mozzie.
0: Like he's always felt almost like kind of an extension of T D Eating Me because yeah. he has done quite a bit and he's in that same vein. Is it as good as the last project? Or what's or is it too early for you to tell?
1: It's too early to tell but he's definitely this album is is a lot about um empathy and love and it's you got this like blood from Sacramento he's just showing a lot of depth. He's talking about family members and all that. And, and truly having spoken to Mozzie a few times, I mean, he's just somebody that instantly you just want to root for like a killer Mike or a David banner, you know, one of these just charismatic people. So, um, that's great to see. And for anybody that likes, you know, West coast, uh, you know, street rap, check that album out. That's, that's really good. Um, definitely kind of went under the radar so far. Um, Sky Zoo put out an album that's an homage to his kind of, uh, he called himself a, a jazz connoisseur and it's even got a blue note theme title to it. And um, I believe it's with a, a band um, called Dumbo station, uh, you know, Brooklyn. I really like that project. It's kind of like an EP. It's a shorter album, but Sky Zoo, somebody else. You know, you and I have been talking about it with Royce and Black Thought and some other people. I truly believe like Sky is in you know, he's he's at a new zenith with his career and it,
0: it's probably only gonna go up from here. Yeah, you put me up on the bluest Note project. Uh, I thought that was dope. Uh you know, he hit that Roy Ayers joint. Uh we live in Brooklyn, you know, just as hard as uh most of did. Um you know, yeah. it's funny, I saw uh most at a concert he did, um, Black on Both Sides for the tenth year anniversary. And uh twenty,
1: right? It was uh, recently, twenty. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah, wow, twenty. Yeah, that's crazy. Twenty. Um and he put on that Roy Ayers joint, uh, the original, and just started yeah. dancing. And, yeah, he was getting down at first, but, like, he was also just, like, he literally went to a different world, like, and yeah. it was just, like, it was wild. Um, but, yeah, that joint just gets me crazy, but that's a great project. Um,
1: that yeah. joint in particular is really cool. I mean, Sky has been public that he left Brooklyn and, I think, relocated to Atlanta, and that particular song is called We Used to Live in Brooklyn, Baby, mm-hmm. and yeah. it um it addresses you know, an ever-changing Brooklyn and gentrification, all that, and it has a lot of soul to it, a lot of um, personality. That's, I mean, I love the joint he did with Pete Rock last year, Retropolitan, and this song is, um, it's another one of those that just hits you
0: between the ribs. And, yeah, um, we got a great interview with him and, him and Pete that Pete, time too. So yeah. like, you know, um, we'll, we'll link to that in the video in the, in, yeah. the, in the description or at the end, but check that out. Uh, but I agree with these guys, is only getting better. He is,
1: and you know, Sky has always been tied to producers early in his careers with ninth and then the project with Pete and a lot of work with Illmind. sky, he sells records himself. I mean, he drives interest himself. He's just a, a a lyricist with a lot of attention to detail. And I like that. Um, just some other, two other joints I'll mention, um, Tom Mish, are you familiar with him? Mm -mm. So actually Amanda Mester, you know, part of the AFH family, um, big fan of him. He's, he's one of these guys that, I don't know how to describe his music kind of transcends genre Um, in a way, sort of like a down tempo gorillas. That's probably not fair, but he has a new album out um, with a guy named Youssef days. And there's a joint on the album with Freddie Gibbs called night ride, night rider. And um, another one of our staffers, Michael Blair, put me onto that. And it amazes me, you know, Freddie Gibbs is one of these artists that has his own lane, but he can bring that lane to everyone. I mean, he's done, he's done records with everyone in hip hop and he can slide outside of genre and still be himself and just make it work. I really, that's a good joint. And then lastly for me, um, Mr. Liff, who heads know from mellow music group and way back Def jokes. He's got a new group out with Stu bangers. Who's a producer, I believe um, in the new England area who's worked with like Sean price and army of the Pharaohs, a lot of those guys. And they've got a group called the Vanguard and they have a joint called new normal. And um I've always admired lift lift has some joints I really like with perceptionists and this is up there. I mean I I played the hell out of this record over the last week and I believe oh uh, yeah, we did we added it to the playlist. So that's yeah. been a scorcher for me. Yeah, that
0: joint was dope. Um Also for, you know, the viewers, um, we created a playlist on Spotify. We try to keep it at 89 songs uh, just to keep it tight, completely arbitrary, random number. It's the first we had on the the playlist when we made it, but a good guideline and um, check that out. It's just Ambrosia for Heads on Spotify, but any new music we're talking about, if we're feeling it, it's usually on that playlist. It's a good way to kind of keep up on things, um, not have to go through a bunch of junk, you know, trying to only do the best of the best, but, yeah, I really like that one. Also, uh, for me, Brandy dropped something and with Chance the Rapper and that was yeah. real cool, man. It's best I've heard her sound in a long, long time. She sounds yeah. great. And Chance is cool too. It's a real upbeat summer song. So Baby Mama, right? That's yeah. the, name of the joint. Yeah, think. yeah. So I stuck that on there. I really like that too, you know.
1: I liked it. I checked it out. Yeah. You put me on to that and you put me on to uh not not new music, although he performs some of his newer stuff. J.Ru did a, uh, a a from home tiny
0: desk live from Berlin, Germany this week. And His voice sounds crystal clear. It, it sounds just like it, it does on the record. It's it's actually amazing. You know, so yeah, I'm it's surprised funny. he didn't do Come Clean though. Like. I like that he didn't. I mean, because it's funny.
1: Like, I um I'm one of those fans, and actually that tiny desk. Like, I need. I've owned the later stuff after he kind of broke with Premier and Guru. Um, but those first two albums I've played more during quarantine than I have since I was probably in my early twenties or my teens. And J is an artist whose album cuts, man, they're, um, like it's all killer, no filler to me, especially, you know, those two albums wrath of the math and, uh, Sunrise on the East. Did you, did you yeah, get he to
0: open with you can't stop the Prophet, which was ill. That was a real, ill. and he explained song. why. Uh, yeah. 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 And just those chords though. And, uh, You know, shout out to Abby O'Neill for, you know, curating that. Um, She's keeping Tiny Desk alive, even in these quarantine times. Uh, You know, the Black Thought stream, the Black Thought um, was incredible. The Jerry thing was dope. So I'm I'm glad they're able to keep it going.
1: I love the Tiny Desk, you know, and I've known Abby from back in the day. I mean, Tiny Desk keeps, you know, waving a flag for, you know, great hip hop. And some of my favorite, I mean... You put me on, my favorite tiny desk ever was T-Pain, which is not something um, that I ever thought I would say. But um, Kane, OC, Master Ace, Jizza, Common, like some of the best tiny desks have been, you know, um, 20 plus year veterans
0: coming in and showing why they are top tier MCs. Yeah, I still go back to that T-Pain one, um, you know, his version of Up Down, where he used the slowed down version of I Keep Forgetting by Michael McDonald, which yeah. a lot of people know as Regulate um yes. g That joint is crazy. It still gives me chills, man. That's um, insane. And so some videos came out, too. You, you like to run the jewels. Tell me what you liked about it. You, you love that video. Um, and you asked a question as to whether or not anyone was doing videos at their level
1: yeah i mean run the jewels came out with um ooh la la you know the greg nice you know reference to gang song and greg nice is on the record premieres doing scratches on paper i thought i would just adore that song and when it came out i was sort of like you said about drake you know the the, the new project i was like it's cool the video enhanced the the song for me and you know, run the jewels both themselves as well as joints like the DJ shadow collaboration a couple years ago, their videos are jarring. They're artful. They're, um, they feel like 1990s MTV, you know, when there would be 20 videos in rotation and you would really get to see an artist and what their commentary was. And I thought about, and I was like, who's making videos on RTJs level. Um, and you know, you and I were talking about like certainly Donald Glover, uh J. Cole, Kendrick.
0: Um, who else? Travis Scott for sure. Travis Scott. You yeah. Know. Um Chance, maybe. Chance, yeah, there's a few. Um, you know, surprisingly, actually Bronson has some really great videos over the years too. Yeah. You know, the the Coming to America, yeah you uh, know, parody, and um, yeah, he's he's had some great videos. And but I yeah, thought a about- lot of people a lot of people are just like lazy just standing on the street like rapping like looking at yeah. it's like the video that's not yeah it's not a and
1: that's idea. not it and i feel like the video has lost a lot of its luster um that's alliteration for you uh but like you know five years ago i feel like people were experiencing hip-hop on you know screens you know on their desktop and laptop and watching videos and now just with dsps and everything readily available i feel like audio means something different and you and i you know With AFH, we noticed that. Like, there would be a lot more audio than there would be video. And RTJ came out with this. Um, Greg Nice is, you know, when you talk about Master of Ceremony, he definitely doesn't get his props. And Greg is, he lives up to his name. He's always been a really good guy to me. But he just rapping in the camera, doing his ad libs is just so dope. And um, I'm really excited for this project. I feel like, I feel like RTJ has given us three albums that, you know, as we talk about mixtapes, and they—they're funny because the first two albums were giveaways. Um, you know, they've—they've they've been pretty cohesive, pretty tight. I feel like with RTJ Four or whatever they decide to call it, they are going to really step out of the box without going without without losing who they are.
0: Yeah, that's another one. You—you you, would you call their first two albums since they were giveaways or, or no? I do, I do, and maybe I'm going against my own argument there,
1: but. Um, to me, yeah, that, 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 and it was just dope that they gave them away and it wasn't because of samples or anything else. They just kind of have this like subversive, like, no, we're doing it our way. And it was also available on vinyl and CD if you wanted to support, but
0: they, they just gave the music to the fans and that was so yeah. dope. Yeah. Well, before we close, man, uh, we, we lost another one to COVID this week. Are you with, you talking about Stizo? Yeah. 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 I, are you sure it's COVID? I thought it was. Uh, what, what, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you,
1: I haven't seen the cause of, of death, but it, yeah. it may be. And I, I you know, I was uh, just about going to bed, whatever night it was. And I saw Dart Adams, shout out to Dart, um, tweet. And then I saw Questlove did a really beautiful tribute and Eric Sermon and PMD also perished. Yeah, just sad,
0: man. Yeah. So, you know, COVID or not, you know, another right. loss for hip hop and, uh, you, know, you know, condolences to his family.
1: Steezo is an artist, um, you know, crazy noise. It's funny. That was an album I had to own and it was hard to find. And it's, he's one of those artists whenever I've played, um, it's my turn or freak the funk, you know, his two biggest records. It's, it's one of those joints. I don't know if you have any like this, but if you play it for people, they ask who it is. Like, it's just so accessible and, um, his music videos were dope with the helicopter and all that. And obviously his ties into, um, EPMD and and you know you got to chill in the video yeah it was it was a, it's my thing or you got to chill the video he was
0: uh I can't remember which yeah. one uh but but I know he was tied to to Eric and Paris for sure yeah That's and
1: also fun. um with that too I, we acknowledge um rap uh who's from the paid and full posse he's on the back cover and um you know one of those guys I feel like that Kind of was an enforcer, so to speak, for Eric and Rakim, and um, recently uh, came back from from doing a bid, and he was on Sway last year with uh, with my man Bumpy Knuckles, and uh, COVID, as I understand it, did get wrapped, and it's just sad. I've got to acknowledge him because there was a lot of unseen forces in that movement um, that changed hip-hop's fashion and street sensibility and all that, and he's definitely one of those guys out of Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, yeah. Man, so, um, as we always end it, song of the week. I'm
1: going to give it up to Lif and Stu, the new normal. That is a phrase. You're the first person I heard use it in, in kind of the my, you know, periphery a few years ago, and that's a term that's just stuck. And with all that's going on right now, that's just hip-hop that I can hold on to. Mm. What about you? Yeah.
0: You know, I'm going to go with 327 um, mm. from – that Gun uh, Joint because like that just is it's so soulful and those guys are just going in and like he enjoys Joey sound so good together um, and, and Tyler you know yeah um, so but yeah I, I've been that's been heavy rotation for me
1: that would be one I'd love to see a video for I really I mean Griselda they use Hype Williams as we talk about videos and uh, didn't you know they didn't do the traditional Hype Williams video with um, you know Dub uh, Dub CD I hope we get a video for some of these joints on Pray For Paris because uh, this album for as prolific as those guys are, this album deserves its breathing room and it's, it's, you know, extra attention,
0: so to speak. Word, word. Yo, uh, it's been good, man. Yeah, Always man. A pleasure. Tell the like hell said, peace. <laughs> peace, man. All right, man. Later.